Well, uh, earlier on in the year, the team did a bit of a survey and asked for sort of tough questions or good questions that you might want answered. And we've been in this series of trying to respond to those questions. And tonight I got this great question, and it goes like this. How can I share Jesus with my non-heterosexual friend? Well, I want to start in a completely other place. I want to tell you a little story. A few years ago, I was sitting in my clinic, I'm a general practitioner, and uh, a patient came in. He was the last patient on a Saturday morning. And he was a fairly big, gruff, burly kind of a guy. Looked like a farmer with big, gnarly sort of hands. And he came in and he sat down. And as he sat down, I noticed that he had an earring in his right earlobe. And he was about 50. And I thought, just noticed it, you know. It was something I wasn't quite expecting. Anyway, I asked him, um, what's brought you along to see me today? And his response was really blunt and a little bit unpleasant. He said, well, what do you think? And I was a little bit taken aback. And for a moment in my head, I thought, but I didn't say this, I thought, well, actually, I'm a GP, not a vet. Our patients normally talk to us. Um, but I didn't say that, I just thought it. And uh, so I said, well, perhaps you could explain so that I can get down to trying to help you a little bit faster. And he pointed at his right ear and he went like this, where the earring was. So I took a closer look, thinking there might have been something wrong with his ear, perhaps an infection around the earring or something like that. And then I realised that the earring was a little unusual. It had a really sharp spike on one end of it, a little feather and a little brass kind of um, swivel thing. And it turned out that, in fact, he'd been fly fishing <laughs> and managed to perfectly pierce his earlobe in exactly the right place, <laughs> cut off the line and turned up in my clinic. Well, why am I telling you this? Simply to say that not everything appears that, that appears in front of you is the full story. There's more going on behind the scenes a lot of the time. So in trying to answer this question, how can I share Jesus with my non-heterosexual friend, I want to um, talk directly to that right now. First of all, I'd start out by asking permission. I'd be asking permission for their time and for their attention. See, people are pretty busy, and I think it's only polite to ask appropriately for their attention. I'd make sure I was well prepared. I would have read my Bible and I would have learnt about God's rescue plan for people. I'd know my story and um, how I came to faith in Jesus and be able to explain that in simple terms. And, you know, most of all, I would try to keep this conversation pretty simple. I'd be thinking about offering a relationship with Jesus and peace with God a spiritual relationship leading to forgiveness and growth and new life and eternal life. And maybe the conversation will go something like this. Well, thanks for giving me your time and allowing me to share with you. I really do appreciate it. You know, my, in my life, I have a real sense of purpose and hope and meaning in my life. And I'd hope that in this little conversation we're going to have, I might get to share that a little bit with you so that you can understand me a little bit more and where I'm coming from. But to be really honest with you, this is so important to me 
then I'm kind of hoping it might be interesting to you too and one day you might have a faith similar to mine. The Bible describes how incredibly loving God is and how he loves everybody in the world. And in fact, this is described in a passage in the newer part of the Bible, um, in John 3, 16 to 17. In fact, I understand that there's some Bibles right next to you on the seats there. You might want to um, grab one and look up these passages as we go along, but they will be up on the screen. Maybe you can look them up on your um, iPhone or um, smart device as well. John 3, 16, it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Because God wants people to be in a loving relationship with him, he created us with free will, the ability to choose whether we were going to love him or not. He didn't just create a whole bunch of robots because genuine relationship is reciprocal. It, it's between two people to and fro. God has loved us and he's hoping that we will love him back. But he's given us the ability to choose not to. Everybody in the world, including me, are prone to rejecting God and rejecting God's ways. We have our own opinions about how life should be lived and we tend to follow those more than we tend to follow God. The Bible describes this sort of rejection of God's ways and going our own way as a pathway that leads to death and it's described in the Bible as sin. Anything that's rejecting God's ways is described as a sin. Well, I've found that believing in Jesus and accepting him as my Lord and Saviour and striving every day to um, honour him by loving him back and living a life that um, tries to align with what he would have me live is the very best life that I could ever live. Not only does it give me joy and peace and forgiveness right now, here, but I have a sure hope that I'm going to be with my Heavenly Father God for eternity when I die. I'm living my best life now and I've got hope ahead for all of eternity. So I just want to thank you so much for listening to what I've had to say and I'm kind of hopeful that you might um, want to have some more conversation around this in the future and I'd really love it if you would come along to Alpha with me. Alpha is a fantastic course where you can ask questions and wrestle with other people around this whole thing of what, what's God all about and, and why does this happen and why does the Bible say that and really encourage you to come along to Alpha and you know what, I'll come with you. It's a fantastic course. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity to share what's on my heart with you and um, I look forward to some more of conversation around this in the future if you're willing. Thanks so much. Okay, okay. You don't get to go home and watch Hamish and Andy uh, too, straight away. Um, there's a little bit more going on behind the question, isn't there? You see, I've actually answered the 
the technical part of the question, how can I share Jesus with my non-heterosexual friend? But I haven't really answered the question, have I? We all know that there's a bit more behind this question than what I've just explained. And what I want to do is spend most of the time in our message um, this evening talking about what are those, some of those things are. Why do we find that it just feels harder when we're talking to our non-heterosexual friends than it does in other circumstances? Or why do we imagine that it would be harder? You see, believing in Jesus is actually simple. It's a relatively simple idea. It's not believing in yourself and your own opinion, and it's trusting a higher authority, God, and placing your trust in Jesus and, and allowing him to work in your life. So in that sense, it's quite simple, but we also know it's hard. And I want to talk about why it's hard and why it's particularly hard in this circumstance. And to get into this, it's going to get a little bit um, technical, so sort of hang with me. I want to talk to you about two ideas. The idea of relativism versus the idea of absolute truth. Now, we are far more influenced in our culture and by our culture than we think we are. When a society rejects the idea of a god, what tends to happen, and what's happened in Australian society and in many other parts of the Western world, the idea of any sense of external source of truth outside of human opinion starts to disappear. Relativism sets in. So, for instance, what um, Emma believes is great for Emma and is true for Emma. What I believe is great for me and is true for me, and what Steve believes is great for Steve and is true for him. And provided we all get along okay and respect each other, we're all entitled to have our own truth. Now, that sounds very Australian, doesn't it? Fair go for everybody, um, tolerant, um, the kind of society we'd want to be part of. But there's a real serious problem if we swallow this idea. All around us right now, the media no longer feel any moral obligation to report facts. Because what are facts if your truth is true for you, my truth is true for me, your truth is true for you, it's all true. What are the facts? In fact, the media are tending, not all the media, but a lot of the media are tending to have abandoned that sense of moral obligation to search out what the real truth is and simply report opinion as truth. In fact, it goes even further than that. They often will report blatant lies or things that they know are not true as facts. Now, one philosopher made this observation relatively recently, and she said that the flaw, the problem with relativism is that 
if you absolutely swallow this idea and live by it, then the person who believes in relativism can never be wrong. And the consequence of that is that it leads to a position where it's appropriate to take offence if somebody disagrees with my truth. And in fact, we see this happening all around us, don't we? If someone disagrees with us, particularly on a moral issue, it seems that it's perfectly okay to be highly offended about that, even though the person may be simply having a discussion about what the facts are. You know, Christians believe in absolute truth. It's embodied in God and it's revealed to us in the Bible. The principles and values enshrined here are the way we were designed to live. And further than that, we believe that God acted in time and space by sending Jesus to rescue us from our opinions and our own ways and help us turn to honour God and be reconciled to our Creator and live the way He wants us to live. And this is described by Jesus himself in John 14, verse 6. Let's take a quick look at this. Jesus is responding to Thomas, and Jesus responds in these words. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And essentially, he's saying, because you've met me, you know the Father. You know this truth. Well, sometimes this stuff can get a bit heavy. And I remember a few years ago, I was sitting, well, quite a few years ago, at the uh, table, and maybe my family's a bit weird, but we were talking about relativism, and my nan was there. And Nan likes to talk a bit and participate, she did. So she listened in very intently while the conversation was going on. And then there was a break, a pause in the conversation. And she leaned in and she said, yes, everyone is a relative, aren't they? <laughs> Just thought I'd leave that with you. <laughs> now there might be another reason why we feel this is harder, it's harder to share with our non-heterosexual friends than it is with other people. Perhaps it's because we want to be liked. Well, the reality is that God created us and hardwired us to be in community with him. And there's a reason behind this. You see, God, for all eternity, has existed in community. Three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, together as God in community. And the Bible teaches us that he created us after himself, after his likeness. And the amazing thing is that God wanted us to participate in that community with him and created us with the capacity to do so if we believe in Jesus and enter into that loving relationship with him. You know, this is so hardwired into us, this desire to be in community, that there's actually emotion associated with it when it's not working properly. And we call that emotion loneliness, don't we? 
and it's a plague in Australia today. It's no wonder we want to be liked by others when we're hardwired this way. But problems can arise and we can harm ourselves and we can harm others when this deep-seated desire to be liked stops us telling the truth. And the Bible talks about this in Ephesians 4, um, verse 15. We'll just read um, verse 14 and then on into verse 15. It says this, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him, who is the head, that is Christ. And in verse 16, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The core of this idea is instead, instead of being blown about everywhere, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. So there's a biblical principle here that we have to override our hard wiring to be liked to make sure that we honour the truth. And um, I want to um, share with you something that I found in part of my research in preparing for this message. And it's actually um, uh, written by, interestingly, Pope Benedict XVI, who is a uh, was a respected theologian before he became Pope. And he writes about this passage in Ephesians in a way that I think speaks to what we're talking about tonight quite powerfully. And I want to just read this to you and share it with you. He says, How many winds of doctrine have we known in recent decades? How many ideological currents? How many ways of thinking? The small boat of thought of many Christians has often been tossed about by these waves, thrown from one extreme to the other, from Marxism to liberalism, even to libertinism, from collectivism to radical individualism, from atheism to vague religious mysticism, from agnosticism to syncretism, and so forth. He says, every day new sects are created, and what St. Paul says about human trickery comes true, with cunning which tries to draw those into error. And he's referring to this passage in Ephesians we just read, um, chapter 4, verse 14. Having a clear faith based on the creed of the church is often labelled today as fundamentalism, whereas relativism, what we've just been talking about, which is letting oneself be tossed and swept along by every wind of teaching, looks like the only attitude acceptable to today's standards. We are moving towards a dictatorship of relativism, he says, which does not recognise anything as certain and which has as its highest goal one's own ego and one's own desires. Then he goes on to say, however, we have a different goal. The son of man, true man, he is the measure of true humanism. Being an adult means having a faith which does not follow the waves of today's fashions or the latest novelties. A faith which is 
deeply rooted, listen to this, in friendship with Christ, is adult and mature. It's this friendship which opens up to us all that is good and gives us the knowledge to judge true from false and deceit from truth. Profound words. I just want to say this. We're drowning in a culture of relativism. If you start to look for it, you will see it everywhere. And I want to encourage you, young people, don't be sucked in by this. Remember that we have a God who spoke in time and space, and it's recorded for us here in the Scriptures. It helps us to understand what is true and right, and we can align our lives with that. We don't have to feel uncertain and, um, and unanchored. Um, our Lord and our God, through the revelation of truth in the Scriptures, provides an anchor, a sure anchor for us in this crazy, um, blown-about culture that we're living in right now. Hang on to it. Hang on to it tight. Well, one of the other things that may make this feel harder than if we were sharing about Jesus with somebody else could be the potential lifestyle changes that our friends might have to go through if they accepted the Jesus that we love and that we're trying to introduce to them. Perhaps we worry about the Bible's description of God's view when it comes to sexuality. How will our non-heterosexual friends' lives have to change if they do accept Jesus? If they become a Christian, are we asking too much of them? Well, let me take a moment just to be absolutely clear. I hold the view, as do the ministers and the elders here at Door of Hope, that God's plan for sexual activity to occur is exclusively within the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Sexual relationships outside of heterosexual marriage are not approved of in the Bible. So this does pose a problem if we're sharing Jesus with a heterosexual couple, for instance, who are living together and having sex outside of marriage. It poses a problem if we're talking to somebody who's sleeping around outside of the context of marriage. And, of course, it poses a problem for a homosexual couple. If people in any situation of these and many others that I'm describing accept our sharing and decide to believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, they're going to need the grace of Christ. And it's going to take time and they'll have to grow and work out how they're going to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus so that they can align their lives with God's truth. And it's not going to be easy. In fact, it's never been easy and it's not unique to this particular area of life. Let me explain. We'll just take one that's very simple and very evident in our political circles, um, globally and nationally, and um, all over the planet. And that's the issue of pride. The Bible speaks about this over and over again. And many of us struggle with this because we were living a prideful life before we came to Christ. And it's a process that we have to go through to start to align our lives with what um, Jesus is calling us to do. 
I need help in this area. Um, it's not a unique situation for somebody who comes to Christ to wrestle with their past life and to need the grace of Christ to help them to work out how they can live going forward in a way that honours and loves back the God who expressed such outrageous love to them that he would give his son for their rescue. So I want to say this. Jesus understands this situation and he actually speaks about this in Luke chapter 14. We haven't got time to dig into this um, tonight, but please take a note of that, Luke 14, and have a read. Jesus speaks about the fact that there's a cost to following him. There's a cost to being a disciple. And he encourages, in Luke chapter 14, us to count the cost and to weigh it up. And he goes into considerable detail about what that cost is. And every one of us needs the loving support of our brothers and sisters in the church as we all work together to grow to be more like Jesus. Well, one of the other things that could be um, holding us back would be the idea that perhaps we're going to be rejected. Perhaps that's the thing that makes this a bit harder. Well, if you went to the Global Leadership Summit, you would have learnt that um, rejection is a numbers game. In other words, if you keep on asking, eventually somebody's going to stop rejecting you and say yes. In fact, what we learned about rejection there was that it has more to do with the opinion of the person we are rejected by than the reasonableness or unreasonableness of the ask that we make. And it's important to remember that Jesus was rejected by the religious and the cultural leaders of his day. If we try to be like him, it's likely that we'll be rejected too. Maybe another reason is that we don't want to add, because we love these people that we're connecting with, that we don't want to add to the weight of historic discrimination that they've carried through their lives. And I want to speak to this. There is absolutely no doubt that non-heterosexual people have suffered marked discrimination, abuse, ostracization and violence throughout history. And this is tragic. It's not what God would want. We serve the Jesus who deliberately chose to associate with minorities. We serve the Jesus who associated with the poor and those who were the subject of hate and abuse. Far be it from us that through some kind of misplaced kindness, we would fail to invite our friends into community where they can hear of the boundless love and grace of Jesus. Perhaps we fear being the subject of public attack. Perhaps that's what makes this harder. And it is true that holding a faith that's different to public opinion or countercultural for the culture of the day may result in public attack. And this is particularly so in an increasing, with increasing risk in a social media age. And, of course, a relativistic culture where a person's truth can be so true for them that any challenge to that truth becomes a personal insult and results in an angry and violent type of response. So what do we do in the face of all these things with our fears? 
And I want to share with you um, a passage of scripture as we come towards the close of the message tonight. And this is from 1 John 4. It's quite a lengthy passage, seven, verse 7 through to 18, and I'll just read it for us. I want you to listen carefully um, as we read. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So in conclusion, we see that our non-heterosexual friends need us to love them with a similar extraordinary love that God loves them and loves us. We need to pray and we need to look for opportunities to share Jesus with them, despite the fact that it feels harder Sharing the good news of Jesus has always been simple. It's a simple message, but it's always been hard. Hard for people to grasp. And there's always been a cost associated with it. That cost is turning away from our, our, our own life, our old life. Turning away from our own opinions and aligning our life with what God designed for us. But you know, despite the fact that it's hard, it's a wonderful life to live now and for eternity. And maybe just as um, I wrap up this message, if, you're, um, if you've never experienced that love of God in your life, I'd just so much uh, love to speak to you after the service. And um, maybe you're wrestling with um, some of the issues that I've talked about here. And I'd, I'd love to talk to you um, as well be here for a while let's pray father thank you for the fact that you don't abandon us to our own opinions you don't let us be blown about left and right 
but you have provided for us in the scripture an expression of truth that provides an anchor for our soul. Thank you that you are true, that you are reliable, that you are solid, that you know what is best for us. Father, would you help us to place our trust in you, to lean into you, and to allow you to um, move by grace in our lives and align our lives in such a way that we honour you and love you back. Father, would you bless us? Would you help us at whatever point of need we're in right now? That we might both honour you in our lives and honour you in our words. And for the particular friends that we have that are not heterosexual, Lord, would you help us to provide the kind of love that Jesus would provide in their lives and do what we can to introduce them to the Jesus we love. We ask it in his precious name.